Okay, welcome to Despirituality. We're pretty excited today. I've got uh, Rhett Snell, Melissa Oliveros, and Kiara Marquez here. And our producer, uh, Nathan Schaffenoff, is going to be on the mic. I'm going to make him I'm going to make him sit in on this one. Sounds good. Yeah, I knew you would want to. Always you, ready. You probably want to motivate people and give us some more uh, suggestions. What do you think about those Warriors? How do you feel about that D'Angelo Russell trade? Uh, he's talented. He can score for sure. Uh, isn't known for his defense, so I worry about that. Oh, um, boy. So I do think... There is an element of like... You're a hater. I'm not a... I'm You're just, a hater. I, I just, think there's more things to... Maybe I'm not going to let you be on the podcast after all. <laughs> no, I, I think there's the more things to come. There's uh, plenty uh, of more uh, things to you come. You do? You do? Okay. Uh, what did you guys think? Did any of you pay attention to the presidential debates this week? No. Are you any Are you any of you care about them? Do you care about politics at all, any of you? I I do. I have not been catching Brett's up at like, all. That's like, no way. Not interested at all. What about you, Melissa? I'm somewhat. Somewhat? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I, I grew up watching the... Uh, watching politics and uh um and uh i was my parents had me watching my parents were democrats i'm not um either one i'm an independent for show um the uh the uh i grew up watching the democratic national conventions i watched them all when i was growing up every last i watched the whole watergate and i was little you know i was like a little kid i watched the whole watergate um procedure the testimony, the investigation, the court. It was on TV all the time. And in that time, during the summer, they just put it on. And so you either watch soap operas for the summer, you know, because you're out of school, or you watch the Watergate hearings, and I'd play outside, then come in and watch the Watergate hearings. And that's when I fell in love with, like, Howard Baker, a uh, senator from, uh, I believe, uh, Georgia. No, I can't remember now. But Howard Baker, phenomenal. And um, uh, it was really incredible. So it's just an interesting time. Politics are interesting. I know a lot of you are probably not into politics. You're like, you know, like these guys, or maybe you are, but um, um, we're excited to talk about something that's a little bit more permanent and useful than politics, and that is uh, despirituality. Uh, make sure you check out our despirituality site, www.despirituality.net. We've got some cool stuff coming for you. I think we've got some change articles and devotionals that are going to be coming up, so you can look out for that. They're going to be, they're going to be loading up uh, probably in the next week or two. You'll see some change ones coming on up there. Uh, you're going to see some new YouTube stuff. We're working on some really cool YouTube stuff. We're working on what we call YouTube quiet times. They'll last a minute, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes. And they're primarily geared at teens and middle schoolers who can sit down. And, you know, for a lot of the younger kids, they'll sit down and watch a two-minute video 17 times. So, uh, you know, <laughs> that's a whole long time with God. But it's going to have a lot of very, very uh, interesting and creative sharing and use of scripture that is visual. A lot of people are visual learners. Yeah. They're not heavy text readers. And sometimes those of us who are older like me, we like the text. And I read a lot, always have. But a lot of people are visual learners. We have podcasts. We're going to be firing up more podcasts. Uh, we took some time down to uh, work on some projects that we had going on. We created a, our digital team, created a whole uh, a whole scheme of lessons and uh, content for a teen camp. And we're pretty in a middle school camp. So we used a lot of our time for that. So that's why you've not gotten your podcast like you might uh, like to get. But you're going to be getting a surge of them. Uh, and uh, this one today, uh, in some ways, is picking up on one we did before. And it's really talking about a rebel heart and uh, how to get your heart in the right place. In our last episode, if you haven't listened to it, you can go back and listen to it. We talked about really using your talents, maximizing your talents, how your relationship with God is effect, affects that, and how oftentimes when we don't use our talents, we end up feeling guilty. In fact, 
a lot of times the reason the, the, the reason we don't use our talents is the result of the guilt. And, and what I want to talk about right now is in Psalm 73, in verse 21 and 22, it says, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Uh, the position I have today, guys, is that guilt leads to going to beast mode, going to anger mode. When you get guilty, you get really upset, angry, and oftentimes you lash out. And my theory about uh, my own life and uh, the people I see in the Bible is oftentimes we're angry, but we never examine why. And a lot of times it's guilt. We feel uh, that we've done something wrong. We oftentimes haven't necessarily done anything wrong. My view on guilt is it breaks down to three areas. You've got true guilt where you've actually done something wrong. You've got false guilt where you haven't done anything wrong, but you think you've done something wrong. And then you've got residual guilt, which is feeling bad and guilty about things that are long gone. You've already resolved. You've done everything you need to do. But no matter whether you have true, false, or residual guilt, one thing you have is guilt. And guilt can make you really angry. It can make you brutish. It can make you like a brute beast, or as I call, going into beast mode. And you guys sitting here can see those pictures. I think they do a good job uh, depicting that. Uh, One of the things that guilt leads to is you end up having a negative view of God. And if you listen to our other podcast, you'll hear about a guy, the one bad guy, the one bad man. He said to God, I knew you were hard to please. He had a negative view of God. His guilt for not using his talents led him to be negative on God. And this is a real issue. And so I want to spend a little time with our group just talking about our view of God, whether it is negative, what areas it's negative in. And I'll tell you where I got the idea from. At our at the middle school camp we designed uh, the content for, uh, they had a class where they, uh, I think it was Dress the Mess class. They uh, had a class where the middle schoolers wrote down any negative view they had of God on paper, balled it up, and then had a snowball fight with it. And I read the list, and then I used that list to come up with this list of eight uh, views of God that are quite negative and that can keep us from using our talent that are the result of feeling guilty in life. Let me read Job 10.1, and we'll get into it. Job says this, I hate my life, so I will unload the full weight of my grievance against God. Let me speak and reveal the bitterness I am harboring. First question for you guys to discuss, and you can take this anywhere you want to go. Have you ever felt like you had a grievance against God that changed your view of God to make it more negative? Have you ever felt that? I mean, when I heard that scripture, I thought of like a prayer I had last week where I was like, oh, that was me yelling. I was like, I'm so (laughs) mad, God, like what's going on? And I I feel like uh, when I don't, get what I want yeah. or I don't get to feel successful yeah. all the time, yeah. then it it's God's fault and he's making me do things and he's pushing me where I don't want to go. And wow. I, I, great. I have to be, yeah, I mean, that, that's basically it. I, I, just, think, I think that's great. Did you feel bad about being that way in your relationship with God or good or? Yeah, I think, I think it had been brewing for a while. And, brewing. and look, I, I like had a friend word. who, a friend who I was talking to me was like, I think you should pray. I think there, there's probably things um, that you're, you're bitter about at God that you're just, you're not talking about. And so wow, I started praying, friend. I started praying and then it was like, <laughs> you know, just kind of all came out. I was like, okay. do you, do you think a lot of, do you guys think a lot of people do that, that they let that, they, they let that brew out to God, you know? Do they let it come out? Yeah. Like, 
Or do you think, I don't what know. Do you, what, do you, what do you think? I disagree. I feel like I'm the type of person that, like, if I'm mad at someone, I will just hold it in and I won't say anything. Uh. And with God, I feel like that's a harder relationship for me to be vulnerable in because I feel like, well, yeah, it's kind of awkward, like, just praying and, like, talking to God yeah. in the first place. So, like, I, if I don't say that to people around me, like, why would I say that to, like, him? So, like, usually it's super hard for me to be vulnerable about, like, the things that I'm feeling on what the What I like side. about what you're saying is I think a lot of people misunderstand the book of Job. And they look at it as a guy who's suffering and going through a lot, which he is. But the most profound thing about the book of Job is it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, one of my favorite movies is The Last Samurai. And in The Last Samurai, the Japanese, uh, 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 I forgot, what are those? Well, samurai, uh, the Japanese samurai uh, leader. Shogun. Uh, the Shogun. Yeah. He uh, has a conversation with Tom Cruise in it, two great actors. And uh, he's just talking to Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise is impatient, like all Westerners. He's impatient and like demanding that he explain why we're there. And he says, you know, um, um, all I want to do is have a conversation. And I think Job is perhaps the greatest sustained conversation with God in the entire Bible. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's talking to his friends, but the reality is it is, a, it is a continual narrative of what it's like to be in conversation with God throughout your life when you have no idea why God is allowing these things to happen to you. You can't explain it. It makes no sense. And no one around you can make any sense of it. And this is something that I think is extraordinarily important because I like what Melissa said, that most of us, when we feel angry, when we feel frustrated, we store it all up inside. And if we go back and we think about that one talent man, that one, that one, bag, gold, one bag of gold man, he was somebody who clearly uh, did not deal with how he felt. If we just take the perspective that in Matthew 25, when the five talent guy uses his talent and the two talent guy uses his talent, the one talent guy doesn't use his talent, instead of opening up about like Rhett did, about his frustration of, oh man, I didn't know we were supposed to use it. I was just trying to protect it. I feel bad about myself. These guys, instead of opening up, instead what came spewing out of his mouth is, God, you're bad. And let's take a look at these, and then we can continue to conversate about whatever you guys want to talk about. Here are the eight areas that I think we oftentimes go into, and you guys may have others, that we go into when, we, when we're angry against God, when we're grieving against God, when we feel God has done something against us, we look and we look at these, these, three, these, these eight, and I'm going to let you guys pick and talk about whichever ones you're talking about. I'm going to name the, the, the one in bold, but then you can talk about whichever one, explain whichever one you pick. First of all, we think God is selfish. Number two, that he's a controller. Number three, that he's distant. Number four, that he's a punisher. Number five, that he's a hater. Number six, that he's a liar. Number seven, that he's a taker. And when you end up believing God is selfish, a controller, distant, a punisher, a hater, a liar, and a taker, you will ultimately stop believing in God and you'll think he's unreal. When you look at those and think about those, just tell me anything that comes to your mind. You don't have to fit it into anything. I just want to have a really great conversation about how easy it is to allow our guilt, uh, the sins we've done to cause us to feel guilty, and then to be grieving against God, or to allow our confusion to turn into a grievance against God and start seeing God negatively instead of positively. Mm-hmm. Talk to me. What are you guys thinking? I think when I was growing up, what what I used as an excuse to stay away from God was a lot was the taker one. Like God is the fun stealer. He doesn't want me to do what I want to do. I see all the people at school doing the fun things I want to do. And if I get with God, then I'm not going to be able to do that. So he must not be that great. So do you think maybe, adults do that too? 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Except it's, go, that's it's, a good point for a team. <laughs> <laughs> Except it's, you know, he won't let me get the Tesla I want or, you know, buy that new pool in my the backyard. Vacation. Yes. It's different than, you know, the just yeah. messing around. Right. You know? Right. Right. So adults are serious. They're serious about the fun stealing. <laughs> yeah. It's like multiple thousands. Okay. Well, anything else strike you guys? What are you thinking about? I thought the Punisher because, um, I, it related it to my childhood. I felt like anytime I messed up, like my parents were very quick to like be like, "Well, you should have done this," and like, "So you're gonna get this because, well, you're gonna get yeah punished in this way right. because of that." So right. I can relate that a lot to God. If I don't do something right, then I'm, I'm something's gonna happen to yes. me. Yes. Good. 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 Anything else? Yeah. I mean, I was thinking the hater. I mean, I could relate to the Punisher. Like God's just gonna like, I don't know, come down on me. But also that. I don't know. Okay, so like that God is judgmental, but also that he's mis- I that he doesn't understand me, I guess. Like that could be a really hard line. I guess I look at hater and I'm like, okay, well, he just this is right, this is wrong, but not really want he doesn't really want to understand who I am or what's going on. Most of the time, I don't understand myself, so I can think like that God doesn't want to take the time to understand who I am is just going to tell so, me that I'm doing something so wrong. So this is really interesting what you're talking about. That's that's kind of I I tried to keep these really simple on the slide. That's kind of number 3. Oh, this okay. and God is unemotional. Oh, okay, yeah, so then maybe you, that. You did, no, you did a great job with the hater one, but you're combining actually three and four, three and five. Five mm-hmm. is hater, God is judgmental, but three is distant, God is unemotional. Yeah. He's impersonal. He doesn't want to know me. He's not interested in me. And and that goes to number two, control right. that God is forcing yeah. me. God ultimately, I think when we go bad, I've been in all these. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. Except number seven, I don't usually think God's a fun stealer. I, 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 that, but other than that, I, I, I think God is selfish when he wants me to go, you're great. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm great. God, I got to spend my time talking about you're great. You know, that he's a controller. He's forcing me to do something. Um, and, and and then he's distanced, what you're talking about, that he's disinterested in me. Yeah. That I'm just a pawn. Any of you ever play chess growing up? Yeah. yeah. So a pawn is something you don't mind losing. Yeah. And sometimes when God is distant, we feel like, well, I'm just collateral damage as he tries to accomplish his purposes. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Does that fit? Yes. That's what I can feel a okay. lot. Is like I think it's more my reaction to this list is more about kind of what how what I'm going through currently in my life, but I definitely can think God wants more from me than he's going to give me. Like so yes. there's that there's that taker yeah. um type aspect to it, but I see it more as um God doesn't the number 6 liar, God doesn't grant wishes. There's things oh. in my heart that I want. Yes, yes. He's not going to give me. He's not going to give me those things, but he still wants me to serve. He still wants me to give up my time. He yes. still wants me to like love people and like work to get my heart right and like go out and go have those prayers that Rhett was talking about. You yes. know, put in all the work, but then like very little in return. Yes. You know? Um, so I think that, and even to like what I think M- Melissa was saying earlier, or you were saying earlier about the conversations and speaking to Job, I feel like when you have those conversations, when you start opening up that's where your view of god starts changing yes. yeah. usually when i hold that stuff inside it gets really warped like the way i think about things are really warped because i just like the only person i'm talking to is myself yes. essentially yeah. like yes. in my head you yes. Know? Yeah. yeah so like i'm just kind of feeding that you know but until i actually bring things out and like into the open whether that's in a conversation on the on the couch in the living room and we're just talking and i'm just starting to share and starting to put it put it out there yes or if i'm going out and praying and and really starting to be honest with God about how I feel, a la Job and what kind of what he was doing. Yes. But that then my view starts changing as I start just being more honest about what's really going on inside. Well, one of the important things is to read the scriptures because the scriptures tell us the truth. So let's go back and let's just take a look at something. I'm going to do this off the top of my head, so I may be off by a chapter or two. 
But in Luke chapter four, I think it talks about the the the, the uh, Satan uh, and and Jesus and the temptations. Mm-hmm. But one of the primary things that Satan is continually driving at with Jesus is he's trying to get him to siege God in a different way. Yeah, I will give you this whole world. Implication is God's withholding it from you. You know why can't you throw yourself off this ledge? Didn't God say the angels would? So he's trying to mess with his view of God. I think a lot of the force of darkness in our life is to get us to see the to see our our view of God to be negative. I want to talk about the one Melissa hit on earlier, number four, Punisher. One of the things I've been working on in my own relationship with God and understanding God is our view of God oftentimes is we, and that Punisher is God is mean, but what is the difference between feeling punished and feeling parented? That's a question for you guys. What is the difference between feeling punished or parented? I think that's one of the curious things because God says he's a father. And so he is a parent. In Hebrews chapter 12, it literally says, your fathers punished you for their own reasons. God, not punished you, sorry, again, these words, disciplined you, or the Greek there is train you, that, that they discipline or train you. Your parents did that for their own variety of reasons to help you, but God does it for your own good. And so what if what we perceive as punishment is actually parenting? Have you ever thought about that? Not really. I when you when you pose that question i'm like first reaction is like not really that there, i don't think there's that much of a difference at least in my mind you know um and we're and, not talking about abusive stuff here so just, yeah. <laughs> just so everybody understands we're not in that realm yeah. we're talking about like okay so so and i think motive has something to do with it yeah but you know because melissa was talking about and we all felt what melissa was talking about with your parents you know at some point in everybody's life, you're sitting there going, man, you know, can my parents lay off? And now I'm a parent. And so I'm, I'm actually doing it. So I'm like, oh, yeah. But one of the things I've, I've learned is as a parent, you're constantly trying to guide your kid and you already know what life is like. You already know how tough it can get. You already know what the person's got to have their act together to do. And so a lot of times you're trying to really emphasize these things. And the way I learned it was coaching. I was coached a lot growing up. And there were many times that I felt my coaches were unfair, uh, didn't respect what I was good at, didn't allow me to do what I could have done to be really good because I saw anything that interfered in me doing what I wanted to do and feeling the way I wanted to feel was punishment. And I think if we changed our view of God and said he's a parent, not a punisher. I wonder how much it would change our view of what's happening in our life. Have you? Does that? What do you? What are you thinking? You're you're thinking something. I don't know what it is. Karen. Well, I mean, I guess I was just thinking that it was because you were saying earlier it's the motive part. Because I, I mean, my dad, my dad was really good at soccer. So I did like I don't know, like a year of AYSO, and and I didn't have always the best relationship with my dad, but I knew he was really good at soccer. So I really wanted to go out and like train with him, and he wanted me to right. teach me something. Right. But I believed that he was gonna do the best he could and I trusted that he was really good at it yeah. so I'm like I'm gonna do whatever he says um, and I didn't like it and I ended up being really I wasn't great at soccer but I trusted him so I was okay going through whatever it was right so I guess like seeing God as being a parent it's more that he wants to see me be successful out of love and care and and not just you did something wrong get back in line because I think when I see God as a punisher I can feel like I'm walking a fine line and I have to be very careful all the time, opposed yeah. to like, <laughs> like opposed to being walking loved and cared, huh? Walking on eggshells, right? All the like time. walking so on eggshells. So let me ask you a question: When you said your relationship with God, your relationship with your dad wasn't always good, or whatever, what do you mean by that? 
oh, I mean, like, I, I felt like we were emotionally distant. Um, so there was just more there. Like, I didn't always, like, I didn't hang out with my dad all the time. But, um, and I had I, a lot I, of, like. The reason I ask is I find it curious when we talk about, like, I grew up, and one of my, when I became a, a, a Christian, one of the sins I had to confess was hating my dad. Yeah. Right? And, but when I look back on it, I was like, uh, so what was I expecting my dad to do? Like sometimes I think we're watching too many movies mm -hmm. and we have a view of what a parent should be. Like I used to watch the Brady Bunch. Let me tell you something. <laughs> There's no human parent who can do that. Yeah. None. There's no human parent who can pull that Brady Bunch off because it was a television show and they resolved everything in 30 minutes or whatever it was. But I, I think sometimes our, our, our tendency to view God wrong begins with our tendency to view our parents wrong. Hmm. And to have a view of our, like with my, with my dad, he was a very kind person. He passed away, but he was a very kind person. Um, much more kind in, innately than I was. Uh, and he had his issues and, and challenges like everybody. But I disregarded him because he wasn't more ambitious. And mm -hmm. as a result, I devalued kindness. I think sometimes, well, later on, it was a Father's Day of his, I called him up and I said, hey, Happy Father's Day, and as you know, and I was talking to him about stuff, and I said, "Well, tell me more about when you played Negro baseball league and so on and so forth." He's like, "Oh, nobody wants to know about that. Nobody cares about that." That's because growing up, I never, I wasn't really interested in knowing him. He, I was interested in him knowing me, mm -hmm. and so my focus was on, "Why don't you know me? Why don't you understand me?" I never tried to understand him. Once I listened to him and we talked about it, I realized my dad went through Jim Crow. That's where African Americans couldn't go into the same bathrooms or restaurants as people that were white, et cetera, et cetera. You can read that, and even Nathan can put a link up to the at Ferris State. They have a um, they have a, uh, a, a a museum there. I think it's still at Ferris State, Michigan, a museum called the Jim Crow Museum, and you can actually look and see the images that were made to depict African Americans and so on and so forth, and that were used during Jim Crow. It's pretty it's pretty insane when you look at it. But my dad lived through that. And once I began to understood he lived through it, I didn't understand. I began to understand his fear. I began to understand his his un, uh, discomfort, mm -hmm. his lack of security. That when you grow up like that, and I think a lot of times the reason we see God as a punisher, and the reason we see our parents as a punisher, is we want our parents and God to know us, but we don't want to know them. Mm -hmm. And that's why your view of God is so important. And that's why a relationship with God is so important. I think a lot of people get up in the morning, have a quiet time but they don't want to know God. They're yeah. like, okay, here I am. I'm fulfilling my duty and I need some stuff. Let me feel Here's, better. Yeah. Help that, that's good. what I was praying about this morning is like, man, God, I feel like every day I've been coming to you so you can relieve my anxiety. I can feel better and I can just go on with my day. I'm not trying to know you or understand what you want me to do. Yes. It's just, yeah. that's so it. I'll give you a, I'll give you a simple, what's your favorite book in the Bible? You have one? Uh, yeah. I like Luke. Okay. Now here's a question for you to ponder. What does Luke tell you about God? What's the main thing Luke's trying to tell you about God? Not about Jesus, not about the people, not about the healings. Think about that. It's an interesting question. What's your favorite uh, book of the Bible, Melissa, or any book you can think of that you kind of enjoy? Um, I kind of like um, like mm, Colossians and all those Philippians. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Sure, sure. So let's take Colossians or any of the letters. Think, if you think about Colossians in particular, what is the primary thing you're supposed to learn about God when you read that book. These are hard questions because most of the time when we read the book, we're not trying to figure anything out about God. We're trying to figure something out about ourselves. We're trying to understand what happened, but we're not thinking about God. Rhett? Ephesians. But it's funny because as you're saying that, I, I was talking to Kiara the other day. I realized I've been reading Psalms and I'm learning like, 
oh, David was like this and David was like that. But yes. I was told, I was like, I shouldn't I be like taking away what God's like, not yes. what David's like? Yes. I mean, it's helpful, but yes. it's not the point. I started reading the book of Daniel for a variety of reasons. Um, but the, the primary reason was I wanted to see how people who believe in God negotiate in a complicated world. Hmm. And as I began to read it, I went, I'm reading this book for the wrong reason. I'm supposed to be reading this book to find out what God does in a complicated world, how God moves in a complicated world what God is thinking. And then I see Daniel as the human factor in what God is doing. And I see how Daniel interacts with God and I learn, oh, this is how God walks with a human being in a complicated world. Did you come up with anything, uh, Kara? Luke? Oh. Yeah, that was a question. Uh, sorry, I thought that was something I was supposed to, you know, you take back. You can think about it later, that's fine. <laughs> I think everybody ought to sit down, because I think the greatest challenge is that, you know, number four, I see God as a punisher for sure. In yeah. 1 John chapter 4, it says that those who have not been uh, made perfect in love, that's the NIV, um, that, 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 they, that, that they have, they, they, it's because they believe in punishment. When you believe in punishment, you ultimately don't believe God is a loving God. And so the issue isn't whether God is a punisher. The issue is do we believe in the real God or are we believe in the one we're making up in our head to fit what we want to see and what we want to think. A lot of times when we're afraid, we, we need a God who punishes. We need a God who makes us a failure so we can have a reason for our failure and we can have a reason for feeling God. When God's on our side, I think God, I don't think there's anything God doesn't do that isn't based in love. And if you start there, then it undoes all these eight. Mm-hmm. You gotta say, so when you think God's selfish, you go, wait, 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 God's a God of love, so I know he's not selfish. Pardon the interruption. <laughs> We just want to let you guys know real quick uh, something we are brewing up here at Deep Spirituality. That's the Kickstart Your Quiet Time newsletter. Mike, sorry, come sorry, on, man. Sorry, sorry. Trigger, trigger that finger. one was unintentional. So, <laughs> the Kickstart Your Quiet Time newsletter. So uh, I got Mike and Amy query here to let you guys know just a little bit, very, very briefly, why we even started it and what you can expect. You know, it's hard to spend quality time with God in the mornings. You're tired. For me, I wake up. I don't know what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking or where to start. You know, I want to spend time reading my Bible and praying, but I don't even know sometimes is, is that good? What I just read? What do I read? So we wanted to be able to put together some of our resources and send them out. So just to help us all, you know, kind of kickstart um, our relationship with God. It's nice. I wake up in the morning. It's kind of early. My my eyes are blurry. And so one of the first things I do is I just refresh the old inbox and it's nice kind of knowing the first thing I can look at is something that's going to fix my mind on something good, you know, biblically. And like Amy said, sometimes, especially if you're tired, like if you are trying to spend time with God in the morning, it can be a little tough sometimes going like, where's my heart at? What am I feeling? Like, what am I, what do I need? What do I feel about God? How much do I believe in stuff today? You know, so having some place to start, like a starting point, uh, is pretty cool. So, I mean, this, it's a sort of snapshot of a study in the email, and then you can kind of click to read the full study, you know, if you want to take it deeper. Uh, so it's kind of different ways you can approach it. There's no like one way, but it is a pretty cool thing to have every day. Uh, excuse me, three days a week, Bible study sent to you to get you going. So at Deep Spirituality, we understand that the morning struggle is real. It's one thing to set aside time regularly to read the Bible and pray, but it's another thing entirely to approach these times with an open heart, calm mind, and focused attitude. To help us out with this, we have a newsletter series called Kickstart Your Quiet Time. These emails will arrive in your inbox every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning with a Bible study to help you get your heart connected with God before you start your day. So head on over to www.deepspirituality.net slash subscribe. Now back to the show. 
So let's just run them down again. And then we're going to take a look at some of the positives and we're going to wrap. All right. Number one was selfish. So is your view of God selfish that God is using me? He doesn't really care. He's using me. Number two, he's a controller. God is forcing me. I don't want to do this. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to obey and, and sacrifice in these ways. God's controlling me. That's a negative view of God. If God's a God of love, he's not controlling you. Uh, number three is distant. God is unemotional. Or as we were talking about earlier, uh, he doesn't really want to know me. He doesn't really care. That's something negative that comes in our mind. We went through number four, God's a punisher, that he's mean. Uh, that's that we've covered that enough. Number five, hater. God's judgmental, that he's constantly hating on me. He's constantly poking and pointing out everything that's wrong with me. And that's his goal is to wear me down and break me down and show the world I'm terrible. Right. Mm -hmm. Number six, he's a liar. I like what Nathan did with that. And what's written here is God doesn't grant wishes that ultimately he puts this thing out there like, yeah, delight in me and I'll give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37. He ain't going to do that. He doesn't do that. Number seven, he's a taker. He's just never hit this from the beginning. He's just out there. He's a fun thief. He's just figuring out what do you enjoy? I'm going to take that away from you. You know, you guys work with teens. I think a lot of teens think God's a fun thief. I think they think as soon as I start liking something, he's going to take it away. You know, number eight, he's unreal. God doesn't exist. Have you ever thought about working with a teenager who says they don't believe in God and saying, first of all, before we talk about whether you believe in God, what do you think God's like? Because sometimes finding out what they think God is like leads you to why they don't believe he exists. If you think God's a punisher, you don't want him to exist. You don't think he exists. You don't need him to exist. So on and so forth. Now. Take a look at this. Oops. Changing our view of God. In 1 John 4, 7 through 8, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So that's where you start, 1 John 4, 7 through 8, that you know God is love. No matter what goes on in your life, no matter what happens in your life, events happen, time and chance happen, Ecclesiastes 9. But... Ultimately, God's motivation is love. And if you hold on to that and don't let the forces of darkness, the forces of negativity, anybody's suggestion change your view of God. And I think that goes for parenting as well. If you as a kid look at your parent and go, ultimately, my parents want to help me. It changes your whole view of everything. And look at what it teaches. So I took us over to 1 Corinthians 13 because 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what love is. So if God is love, we know he's these things. Let's take a look. First Corinthians 13, four, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. So there's three things I think we learned about God. And I'm going to let you guys comment on this. Number one, he's patient. Number two, he's kind. And number three, I don't know what you guys think about this one. He's humble. So he's patient means he understands and lets us grow. That means he's not going to knock our head against the wall every time we make a mistake. Mm -hmm. He understands and he lets us grow. Number two, kind. He cares and wants to do good. And number three, humble. He values us and wants us to succeed. Mm -hmm. When it talks about it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, That's it's not about me. Mm -hmm. This whole thing is not about me. You're trying to make what's happening in your life about me trying to get something out of you. It's not, I'm trying to give you something. Mm -hmm. I had a friend of mine, Scott Green passed away. And, and, and one of the things he talked about is our need to develop the capacity to be blessed. And that oftentimes we take things before God can give them to us. 
What do you guys think? Patient, kind, humble. That's who God really is. And I put down God wants a relationship, not a performance, meaning he wants to be patient with us, kind toward us, and humble with us. He doesn't want to measure our performance. Does that strike a chord? Anybody feel anything? Think, what are you thinking over there? Uh, yeah, I like number two the most because I don't always think that he's kind or that he cares about me. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that really just challenges like like what I was talking about before, like the Punisher, he's not out to get me. Like he actually cares about like, like kind of what you're talking about with the parenting thing. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like that like kind of reassures me and like, okay. And you have to keep working in that. And so if I'm, if I'm looking at that, Rhett talked about the Psalms, he's reading the Psalms. If I'm looking at kindness, what you have to do is you have to go, I was taught to do this years ago and I'm talking about decades ago, I should say when my, my relationship was just terrible and someone told me, read through the Psalms and circle every word that describes God. And so I did it. I went through every single psalm and circled every single word to describe God. And when you do things like that, I hate to use this term, but it, it renews, refreshes, and reprograms your brain. And suddenly your brain starts going, oh, this happened. God's kind. So I know this is just a circumstance. This is just something that happened. That, you know, when people start saying, hey, your car broke down and you were stuck on the road, what's God trying to teach you? See, that's tricky stuff. Because when you start to give God credit for every single thing that happens to you in life, you're saying there's no time and chance and that God is, he's making every single thing happen. But if you remember, no, God is kind. And so when your car breaks down, you just remember God is kind. All you know, if you kept driving down the road, you would have gotten in an accident because there was an eight-car pileup. You just don't know. Or you'd arrive someplace at the wrong time. You just don't know. So you always say God is kind and know it. That's a really good one. We're actually going to move on. Patient, kind, humble. That was a great illustration. Hey, Rhett, we're going to give you this one. Let's read the scripture. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking and it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. First Corinthians 13, five. So what do we learn about God in this passage? I broke it down into three sensitive, unselfish, and forgiving. He's sensitive. He doesn't dishonor or seek to shame us. He's sensitive. He's, he knows we're fragile. Mm -hmm. He's not trying to dishonor us and he's not trying to shame us. Number two, unselfish. He wants what's best for you, not himself. He's unselfish and forgiving. He forgives, forgets, and removes our sin from us. While someone else may remember what you did, God has decided once I've forgiven it, I've forgotten it, we're moving on. Other people might bring it up, but God's not bringing it up. Mm -hmm. As the Psalms teach, he spreads our sin as far as the east is from the west, it's done. So people might keep bringing it up, but for God, it's a done deal. What hits you here? God wants a relationship, not a, he, God wants a relationship, not resentment. He doesn't want you resentful of him. He wants you to have a relationship. And the way he keeps us from being resentful, resentment, resentful is he's sensitive, unselfish, and forgiving. What hits you there, right? Definitely the forgiving point. I mean, I think one of my biggest struggles is trying to uh, get past the guilt that I feel all the time. You know, like the residual guilt that you talked about. Yes. Even, even today, I'm like, okay. I'm a Christian, I'm forgiven, but yes. I still can have so much guilt from high school or college or things that yes. I've done. And so it even gets me emotional, like thinking about like, oh, thank you, God, so much yes. like that you forgive me more than I forgive myself because yes. I don't I don't even forgive myself. So I think that one definitely sticks out. And to that's me why that freedom is so important. I think I mean, I understand completely. I, I, you know, I'm older than you, so I have more residual guilt. But I think that's Satan's weapon to keep us in our head, yeah. to keep us to keep us thinking about what's in our head. You know, I see sin as the opportunity to save others. When you use your sin to let other people know we all sin, we all blow it, let's turn those stumbling blocks into stepping stones. Let's open the door for us to be able to get somewhere. Like a football player a long time ago 
uh, was quoting some phrase. He goes, I turn my, I, I let my, I let my setbacks be a setup. And I think you have to have a mindset like that. So I, I would encourage you and everybody out there, we all need to work on forgiving a lot. And I think that's why the Bible says that before we pray to God, we need to make sure we've forgiven everybody because one of our greatest gifts, if not our greatest gift we can give other people is forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Not the, you need to apologize to me forgiveness, but the, it's done. Don't apologize to me. Mm-hmm. Don't, I've said that to people who go, oh man, I'm sorry I did that. I go, please, seriously. Do I, I'm not worthy of being apologized to. That's my philosophy. I've done enough sins and messed up enough that I'm not worthy of being apologized to. And I think when you get that kind of love from God, it makes you want to give it to other people. When you know forgiveness deep, you want other people to have it more than you want to be resentful. And so that's really good. All right, Kiara, we'll get you in on this one. First uh, Corinthians 13, six, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. There's three things here. Number one, delight. God likes to see us happy. That's cool in my mind. God likes to see us happy. Number two, rejoices. God enjoys his relationship with us. He actually enjoys when you spend time with him. Number three, truth. God is happiest when we choose truth over evil. Mm-hmm. Which one strikes you there? Uh, like all of them, but the truth, honestly, because I can see truth as just being bad and wrong and like an opportunity for failure instead of, I, I, I've, always like this one to change my mind about truth because God is he likes it even if it's the worst even if it's bad even if it's whatever like God's still happier for me to be honest or to be who I really am whatever that is um more than just pretending like he wants to know who I really am um so that he's happy with that I think that that helps well it's interesting point because what it says in that passage is or what it says let's go back John 8 31 32 he says to the he says to the um, um, to the Jews who had believed in him, if you hold to my teachings, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I don't think God wants us to be on the side of truth just because it's right. He wants us to be on the truth because it sets us free. It sets us free from worrying about what people think about us. Mm-hmm. It sets us free from worrying about whether we're going to live or die. It sets us free from whether or not we stack up with the right status marks and the right accomplishments, the right degrees, the right awards. Truth. And the truth is, the truth comes out when you lay down in your bed at night and you sit there and you think about your life and you say, am I living a good life? And I think for most of us, we don't. We worry about what everybody thinks about whether we're getting a good life. Yeah. The truth is, you being able to sit back and say, this is a good life, I'm happy with it. I may never be known. I may not be remembered. No one may think I'm significant, but this is the truth of who I am. Most people never know the truth. And so they're constantly chasing the lie. And the lie is the carrot that tells you, man, if you just get this, then you'll be all set. If you could just get that. There are a lot of us out there right now, 40-year-olds, 45-year-olds, and you're starting to have that negative view of your life. You're starting to go, man, I thought I was going to have, as Rhett talked about in the previous podcast, thought I was going to have that Tesla by now. You know, I thought I would have seen, you know, I don't know, uh, a Mongolia by now. You know, I thought I was going to take three cruises by now. I thought I was going to rate that great American novel by now. We spend so much time thinking about the lie that we never celebrate the truth. To me, the truth is, if you have a, your health, if you have kids, if you have friends, if you have vision, if you have faith, you have a relationship with God, oh, that's a pretty awesome life. And so we gotta think, am I excited that God's excited about me? That's really the goal. Deal with your guilt. Don't let your guilt make your view of God negative. Get it out, talk about it, reveal it, and then spend all of your energy replacing the negative views of God 
with the positive views of God. It'll build your faith. It'll increase your security. And quite frankly, it'll make you happy. www.deepspirituality.net is where you want to look for more stuff. And Nathan is saying he's got the ultimate answer to all of your questions. He's going to tell you everything (laughs) you need to know about the presidential elections, about NBA, about the NFL, all the answers you need to know, where you need to invest your stocks, the economy, relationship with China, the the relationship with Russia. Yeah. Just nail it. Nail it. Got it. it. I know you're going to nail it. not my intention. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, but I had, as we were closing out, I had some recommendations I put together for people uh, thinking about what are the great conversations in the Bible. Oh. Um, I thought about, you, you highlighted the book of Job. Yeah. I thought about Genesis 32. That's my favorite conversation yes, in the Bible. Yes, yes, great one. Uh, Jacob's wrestling. Uh, Matthew 26, 36 to 46, Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus having that conversation. Good conversation. Um, I also been reading through Psalms myself. Psalm Ooh. in the Psalm thirties. In the thirties, yes, it's yes. David having that conversation with God. Yes. Being free free from his sin, but also finding refuge in God. So I don't know if there's any others you guys think of, but like the great conversations in the Bible, I think. I think one big. of the most extraordinary conversations is God centered conversations between two women, Naomi and Ruth. It's one of the greatest conversations in the Bible. One of the most incredible conversations known to man. I think in Acts chapter nine when Paul becomes a Christian, the conversation between him and Jesus. That's a smack dab smoking conversation. Moses, the burning bush. What a conversation. Has there ever been a better conversation? Moses, that's uh, Red Sea. A better conversation. He says to all the people, stand firm and God will rescue us. God goes, what are you doing? Stretch out your staff, part the sea and move on. I mean, what an incredible conversation, right? I mean, there's just so many. It's a quick one. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel's conversations in the book of Daniel, they're extraordinary conversations. Daniel's talking to angels in the book of Daniel. I mean, he's talking to doggone angels, right? Uh, they talk to God together to get answers to prayer. Yeah, there's extraordinary conversations. Don't forget Jonah. Jonah's conversation. You had jo- Jonah's conversation is probably one of the best conversations. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's some. And th- don't forget Jesus is God. So every conversation that the apostles have with Jesus is actually a conversation with God. Oh, there you go, man. I'm telling you, man, there's a lot of good conversations. There you go. So guess what? Nathan's telling you out there, go out today like Rhett did and have one of the most extraordinary conversations with God. Let out all that's been brewing inside so that you can have a nice cup of joe. And the joe conversation, that coffee that you're going to have is an extraordinary relationship with God. Wipe out all that negativity and be able to be happy. And the other thing is, go find somebody to help. Go some, find somebody who's got a negative view of God and help him change it. And hopefully we'll be doing that for a lot of people. You guys will be doing that for a lot of teenagers and going out there and saying, hey, I want to help you with your negative view of God. We love doing the podcast. We hope you love listening to them. Uh, Go ahead and rate us uh, as high as you can rate us. And if you didn't like this podcast, rate us even higher. Just rate it higher just to help help us not lose our confidence. uh, look at our listen to our YouTube. Go to our YouTube channel, and if you have suggestions, you can eat. Can they can they email stuff in? Yeah, Pod, yeah. Uh, podcast at deepspirituality.net. If you have suggestions, send them in. We've gotten some really good suggestions from people talking to us about what they want to hear discussed in the podcast. We're hearing some of you who want to hear about parents and parenting and teen parenting. Uh, some people are too busy to be on the podcast, so we've got to find the right people for you. So I know some of you've asked for specific people, but some of them are too busy and they just can't do it. They're doing other things, but we'll find you some good stuff. It's going to keep coming going to be smoking hope you enjoy the summer we'll see you soon